The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Chelsea, it's Abramova. Biggest setback featuring a Roman since sending dad the dick pic in succession. We ask what's the impact on Chelsea now that it's frozen. Can he still let it go? Meantime, Champions League. PSG trip over second leg again on Mad Night in Madrid. We'll check out all the midweek results and preview the weekend's action too. Plus, a big, big game in the Intertotally in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday, the 10th of March. Good morning to you, listener, or afternoon, or similar. Duncan Alexander, Tom Williams, and Michael Cox on the Totally Today. Hi, everyone. Hello. Uh, mm. Hi, James. Yeah, hi. Michael's your big day. Your big day. Two-time winner of the Intertotally. Owner of the longest streak in Intertotally history. 14 correct answers in a row. Do you remember that? That was that first season when you, you got your first ever question wrong in the final and then answered the next 14 to defeat... Daniel's story. Do you remember that? I don't remember it being over 15 questions. That seems quite a yeah, marathon It was session. the lockdown. We had a lot of time on our hands. <laughs> that explains it, yeah. Yeah. Like Spain in the 2010 World Cup tripped over Switzerland and then just... Yeah. Very similar. way to glory. I mean, the parallels of... Anyway, uh, story, poor chap, was left shattered, broken. He, he, he crashed out in the first round the following year. But he's back today, though. And yeah. uh, that, that's a treat that awaits us at the end of today's show. Daniel Story against Michael Cox in the Intertotally. Of course, top spot in today's running order goes to the big news Thursday morning of Roman Abramovich, sanctioned by the British government. His assets, including Chelsea Football Club, frozen. As you've no doubt seen, they've been given a special licence to continue with football-related activities, but the sale of the club is effectively thus barred. The background to this decision has been widely reported already on Thursday, but in football terms, what it means for the club, they won't be allowed to sell any more tickets. Only season ticket holders can go to games for the foreseeable future, we understand, and no merchandise will be allowed to be sold. The question of player transfers is a tricky one. Apparently that's all frozen, although there's some suggestion that players can be sold, but incoming funds would then be frozen. Catering services will be permitted, but they can't spend more at the club than £20,000 on away game travel, which a lot of people wondering how that's going to work with Champions League. Assuming I mean, they... they're quite lucky to have been drawn with Lille away, uh, mm. as it stands. Um, you know, there's a train. Indeed. Well, to tell us a little bit more about how this works and what it's going to mean for the club, we're joined by Matt Slater of The Athletic. We've seen the news. We're wondering in practical terms what it means. So am I right in saying club sale frozen? They can't sell tickets. Catering can continue. What about player transfers? Good question. You, me and everyone else, we're all learning as we go here, right? This is completely uncharted territory for football, for the UK sanctions list, for our rules. We have never had to deal with a sanctioned asset like this before. Normally, it's a warehouse, it's some property. It is not a living, breathing football club that people care about, that has to pay bills, weeks, monthly bills, uh, that is on TV, right? The thing that Chelsea fans, that football, I think, to an extent, have been dreading was announced 
uh, just after nine this morning, Abramovich on the sanction list, all UK assets frozen. My word, everything changed from that moment. Now, we also got the terms of a special licence that the football is going to be allowed to operate under. And that is an immediate recognition from the government that Chelsea is different, that this is not your typical sanctioned asset. Now, as you say, we're, we're digesting that. Yet yeah, the games can go on. They can fulfil their fixtures. They can pay their players. They can pay their staff. Season ticket holders, that's fine. No match day tickets, no, you can't come. Yes, if you come, you can have a pie and a pint. Uh, anything that's in the club shop now, you can buy it, but that's it. We're not restocking. Um, yeah, Chelsea, you can, um, your bank account can receive money from UEFA, Premier League, the TV money. And yes, you can receive your sponsorship income. And yes, you can receive money you're owed for players you've sold. You can't touch it, though. You can receive it. The bank account take it, but it's frozen. So Chelsea, how do they... Can well, How do they Chelsea, continue to, to, to run as a kind of operation, operational business if they can't touch their income? Whatever they've got in cash in the bank right now, I think. I can't see another way. But at the same time, if they're granting a special licence, and I know we're, we're feeling our way through this because it's unprecedented, if they are granting a special licence, presumably all the accommodations necessary to make them effectively still able to continue will, will, be, will be made. You'd have thought so. I, I, I genuinely think that... that even the you know the UK government are feeling their way through this. It's a sort of temporary license, gets them through to the end of the season. I think the big, big question is the sale, right? Now the sale was the sort of solves all problems solution, right? Let's just get this in somebody else's hands. Now the sales process started. We all we've all written and talked about this. This Rain Group, this US boutique bank that was overseeing that. Um, we were expecting to hear some news on that next week. Look, no one can pretend that uh, that can continue right now unless we get more clarity from the government about what they're going to do around the licence and the sale. So the big issue is, can anyone buy a club from someone who is sanctioned? If there's even a hint of any of the proceeds going to a sanctioned individual, can the government allow that? Can anyone take the risk... And particularly for the kind of people that I think that were going to buy the club, Americans, where their sanctions regime is very strict and the fines are huge and no bank, no institution would take on that risk. Can they proceed? Can they, can they possibly sanction themselves, the other type of sanction, a deal with a sanctioned individual? Now, they're going to need a great big green light and a very, very tight set of rules from the government to say, yes, you can. Here's, here's how you do it. The proceeds can't go to him. They effectively go to like an escrow account or we, 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 we ring fence it. Da, 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 da. Shares are passed to you. You are now wholly responsible for that club. Away you go. There's not enough detail in the, in the special license for that. Where do you think, what, what's your kind of best guess as to where we're going to be, say, in a week's time about this? Well, I think that has to be the... Priority number one. So clarity around the sales process. Can you buy this club and how you do it and where you pay the money to? Without sorting that out, Chelsea are in a world of trouble this summer. Mm. Pretty soon, actually. Have you any idea how much I mean, a, t a club like that typically would carry in the bank if they were first well, to, yeah. forced to operate on, on what they happen to have? Good question. I mean, you can look at sort of the accounts 
which always give you sort of a, a snapshot of a picture a, a year or so ago. I actually haven't had a chance yet. For, for clubs, a lot, they've been carrying more cash in the last year or so, typically because of COVID. Mm. Um, so, you know, anything between 20 to 50 million I've seen for Premier League clubs, which, you know, for sort of Chelsea, their wage bill alone is about 30 million a month. So there you go. So get them a couple months, maybe if they've got if they've got fifty, sixty in, but you know, it's it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Hmm. All right. Well, big questions about how this is going to impact on the team as well. Uh, so many questions, Matt. Thank you for being with us to provide some some early answers and and good luck with uh, the rest of your digging today. Thank you. No worries. Matt Slater of The Athletic. All right, well, look forward to finding out more as that story becomes more concrete. And with that in mind, let's move on next then to the Champions League. So, Mr Raniuk, what's on your mind? I'm thinking of opening a toy shop. Okay. Yeah, Ronaldo keeps throwing from the Prem his toys. I could make a fortune. And he cost you one as well. Fortunately, with Paddy Power, you know you're always getting the best deals. Like a completely free £5 bet builder on Man United v Spurs this Saturday. Paddy Power! Pretty much online bet builder bets only. Min two plus legs. Max one free £5 bet per customer. Must have previously deposited to avail. Seven day free bet expiry. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Champions League which was, till Thursday morning, the big story of the week in football. Not uh, least Real Madrid's extraordinary 3-1 win over Paris Saint-Germain, 3-2 on aggregate, Wednesday night at the Bernabeu. It happened again. Is there a side in football more faithful to their DNA than PSG? Well, that's... I mean, it's a funny question because I understand what you mean, but... Part of it is that they don't really have a DNA, do they? They are just a collection of individuals. There's nothing tying them together. And yet, even by their standards, it was an extraordinary collapse, considering for the first three quarters of that tie, PSG were completely in control. Kylian Mbappe was almost more influential than the other 21 players put together. And then it just completely transformed. And, I mean, personally speaking, I've become slightly sick of the phrase Kareem the dream over the years, but... This time, yeah, I, I couldn't help, couldn't help, you know, thinking of it myself and repeating it to myself because it was just fantastic from Benzema. I mean, to score mm. a hat trick in that period of time to completely transform the tie, and I think in the end it was quite deserved. I mean, there were a couple of kind of strange goals, but but uh, Real Madrid forced the mistakes. They forced the mistakes with good pressing and shutting down, and Modric was fantastic, and Ancelotti made very good substitutions. So. 
at the end of the day, despite being out of, you know, seemingly out of contention for mm. the majority of the time, in the end, Real deserved it. All right. Lovely Kareem image of the... Michael sitting on the sofa just repeating Kareem the dream to himself. And in, smiling. In, in my best Jules impression as well. Right. I'm not going to do. Yeah. Pochettino <laughs> sitting on the bench muttering Kareem the Nightmare. Meanwhile, Madrid papers Thursday morning. Ass, this is Madrid. So there you go. They're another world, say Marker. Calling it a crazy and historic comeback. Weirdly, though, I'm almost more curious about... Well, it's not that weird. It's pure rubbernecking. But I'm really curious about <laughs> what the French papers made of, of, of this. Uh, Tom, you've been all over it. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're learning French, it's a great day for brushing up on your disaster-related vocabulary because there is a lot of that around uh, in the uh, sports pages of the French papers today. Uh, Flicking through Le Keep this morning, I found collapse, nightmare, despair, absolute shipwreck. Um, and the conclusion <laughs> of the what? conclusion of their their editorial was the culture Shackleton. of PSG is the yeah topical. The culture of PSG is the acceptance that the players are bigger than the club and much bigger than the coach. Uh, La Parisienne called it the nightmare of Paris. Um, PSG scuttle themselves. Another nautical mm. uh, vibe there in Le Figaro. So yeah, lots of um, lots of wailing and, and gnashing of teeth, as you would expect. Right, I saw Emmanuel Petit and one of them's calling this worse than that time with Barca or five years ago when they were five, three up on aggregate with two minutes left and then conceded those three late goals to go out but enter infamy at the same time. Why would he say that? Would you agree? I think, I mean, this has become sort of part of the game now when PSG humiliate themselves in the Champions League is immediately comparing it to previous humiliations to try and establish Mm. where it ranks in the league table. I think the thinking behind arguing that what happened last night was the biggest humiliation was that it looked like PSG had put this sort of thing behind them. So albeit with a caveat of playing games behind closed doors, they reached the Champions League final in 2020, they could have won that game, uh, ended up losing to Bayern Munich. They reached the semi-finals last season, going out to Manchester City. And then last summer, they had this absolutely ridiculous transfer window and brought in all these seasoned winners in Leo Messi and Sergio Ramos and Gianluigi Donnarumma and Jorginho Wijnaldum. And there was a feeling that that era of PSG having their trousers pulled down um, in the Champions League was over. And I think that's why it feels more painful. I mean, if you look at the details, nothing will ever compare to the remontada against Barcelona in 2017 because mm. that you felt that, that it was on the cards right from the start. Um, and then, despite having basically a three-goal advantage to play with, heading into the 88th minute, they still get knocked out. Going out to Manchester United in 2019 was a humiliation but also a bit of a freak result in the sense that it took, you know, Diego Dallo slicing a shot and it hitting Kimpembe, you know, on the arm and, and you know, Marcus Rafa scoring the penalty. But I, I, think, I think what is particularly painful about last night was it was the sort of thing that PSG thought wouldn't ever happen again. They thought that they were now established as a big club. Mm. And I think the fact that we know that Nasser Al-Khalifi went crying to the match officials after the game, that 
that takes us right back to 2017. That was how PSG explained it. Oh, we were robbed by the referee. This shows that, you know, we're not being treated like a big European club. And so much of what's happened in recent years, you think about PSG's opposition to the Super League, for example, Nasser Al-Khalifi ends up becoming the new president of the European Club Association. He's best pals with Alexander Sheferin. And PSG thought, well, this is it. We've now arrived. The only thing we need to do now is win the Champions League. But we are part of the... We're part of the furniture now in terms of the big European clubs. And so to go out in that manner with not a massively controversial refereeing decision, but, you know, a refereeing decision that, that, that could be, you know, that there was a bit contentious perhaps, and having that complete mental collapse once again just takes PSG right back to where they were in 2017. I think that's why it, it stings so much. All right. Well, regarding that Super League business, uh, Filippo Maria Ricci reporting that in the official pre-game lunch... Uh, Fiorentina Perez served up uh, two wines uh, priced at ten euros each for his uh, French visitors, before then serving up revenge very cold uh, that evening. All right, Michael, you talked about how Real Madrid's press sparked the PSG collapse. Break it down if you want. Mbappe's brilliant goal gave Paris Saint-Germain a two-goal lead on aggregate. Then an even more potentially brilliant third goal was disallowed, but they were absolutely cruising. Duncan, sorry. I mean, Mbappe kind of scored a hat-trick, didn't he? He had a goal disallowed in the first half. And then that third, or what would have been his third goal if the offside law didn't exist, um, was the dummy. It was a sort of step-over, Pele, crossover dummy. And it was very rare you see the entire football world just unite in a, in a sound. Um, you know, the old day-to-day, can you sum up in a word? No. Can you sum up in a sound? And it really was like that. It was wonderful. But, yeah, it didn't count. And it was... I guess, kind of ironic to see a French striker actually score a legitimate hat-trick down the other end of the pitch. But, um, but yeah, I also thought that it was quite sad watching Messi as well. You know, this was the stadium where he put in one of the all-time great Champions League away performances. And, and that player's gone, really. And he had a couple of runs in the second half, but you know, just, just looked off it. And, you know, sort of felt sorry for him. And then at the end of the game, saw him in a crisp advert, in the adverts, and I was like... You don't need to do crisp adverts, you know. It's, it's, you don't. You're Lionel Messi. Come on. Um, maybe he really loves so, crisps. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the issue deep down. Mm. But I don't think so. Well, there you go. Mbappe had put Paris Saint-Germain into what looked like a comfortable two-nil lead on aggregate, and they were pretty much cruising at that point until the press on Gigi Donnarumma sparked the collapse. Michael, so the first goal. Is Donnarumma's mistake? Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. But I think it was aggressive Real Madrid pressing. And I'd also question Marquinhos as well, who kind of just stands mm. in position and lets Benzema block off any potential pass. I think more um, experienced centre-backs maybe would be sprinting to the edge of their own, but the corner of their own box to get in a position Donnarumma could play the ball to. I must say, I mean, none of them really covered themselves in glory aside from Mbappe, but I thought Marquinhos, who's a captain these days, I thought he was just dreadful almost the whole game. I mean, he, he made the mistake for the winner as well. I mean, he right. actually got back in control of that situation and then played an outside of the foot pass across his own box. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he just did so many things wrong the whole game. In the first half, he tried a little back flick in the penalty box when, when uh, PSG were well on top. And it almost felt like that was the moment, you know, a, a very subtle shift in the sort of power dynamic in the game. He was playing against a team who suddenly hit pretty extraordinary form and... and Few players more than Modric and Benzema. Modric, whose role in the second 
of the Real Madrid goals was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, he did everything. He won the ball with the interception. He then drove forward 50 yards over the halfway line and then got the ball back and played a disguised pass through to Benzema. And there was also the moment, I think about five minutes beforehand, where he put in a brilliant tackle on uh, Leo Messi. And I think three or four times in the game, he actually made really good tackles. I mean, yeah, for all the talk about Mbappe maybe being, you know, the, the best player in the world or the next best player in the world, aside from Messi, the only player on the pitch with a Ballon d'Or is, is Modric. And I think he showed why. And no sooner had they gone 2-2 on aggregate. Get it in the just... corner, lads. Come on. <laughs> I mean, what, why are you taking a kickoff like that when you've literally gone from 2-0 up in a, in a huge game to 2-2? That is the time, you know, get Mbappe running towards the corner flag, just stick it high. I mean, Michael did a piece, didn't you, about, you know, how teams take kickoffs. Um, and most of them, even the, the most kind of progressive teams do sort of generally, you know, go long, don't they? Um, it was just stupid. It's the most PSG thing ever to concede at a time when the tie is still level within ten and a half seconds of your own kickoff after your captain and centre back gifts the ball to the most dangerous player in the opposition lineup. Is it because they just don't deal with that kind of situation? And and people reference the weakness, the relative weakness of of, of league. Is it because they only get into these kind of situations once a year when they usually blow it and then have to start all over again? I think you have to caveat and any sort of. Uh, observations about the weakness of Ligue 1 by you know reminding yourself that PSG didn't win Ligue 1 last season you know they, they came hmm. second to Lille in the last three games they've lost two two matches they lost 3-1 away at Nantes and they lost uh, away at Nice at, at the weekend Nice also knocked them out of the Coupe de France so it's not like there aren't teams in France who who can beat them uh, who can give them difficult games but there does seem to be a kind of Something about this particular scenario of, of suddenly having the, the rug pulled out from beneath their feet in these big uh, gala occasions in the Champions League that seems to just sort of mentally short-circuit all their players. And, uh, you know, at times like that, you look at the senior players who should respond. I mean, one thing that I thought was curious was that, obviously, you know, PSG ended up completely collapsing, but there was a point after Benzema's goal when they were still leading on aggregate, when they knocked the ball around for a couple of minutes, PSG, Mm. and looked quite comfortable. And there were players taking the ball in deep positions and, and, you know, playing quite risky passes and and, and doing quite risky dribbles and getting away with it. And you thought, okay, no, actually they have learned. But then as soon as Madrid push again, the whole thing just collapses. And the players who you would expect to be the ones who who kind of, you know, restore calm, Marquinhos, Verratti, Mm. Kimpembe, etc., are just found wanting. Indeed. Well, we need to talk a little bit more about Real Madrid, though. And Kareem the Dream, Michael. His finish on that third goal, quite extraordinary. He also has moved into third place in their all-time scoring list. He's now behind uh, Raul. He's on 309, Benzema. Raul's on 323. Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, on 451. A great deal of which, or a pretty large number of which, were actually assisted by Benzema himself he's already equaled last I think I, I might be wrong mm-hmm. I think Ronaldo's only on 450 oh, officially 451 really? oh, right. might be because Marker gave him that goal oh, yeah that ah. goal that actually had no business being his all right I'm we'll call it 450 sure then but he's a long way ahead Benzema though has already equaled last season's tally of 30 goals and he's still got a month or two to go his best ever haul in a season was 32 goals and he's only two 
off that. It's all pretty extraordinary. Uh, does anybody want to eulogise Kareem the Dream, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's obviously come into his own in the last few years. I was always slightly unsure about Benzema in the sense that he he was really prolific. He was always a, a very good striker, but his role was always to bring out the best in Ronaldo. And I think that compromised him for what you would generally consider to be his peak years. But I mean, he's coming up to 13 years at Real Madrid now. And I think there's only one season where he's started fewer than 28, 29 league games. So he's been very consistent in terms of just being there. Which sounds like a bit of a backhanded compliment, but at Real Madrid, who are always desperate to bring in the next superstar, he's seen off a lot of other players. And I think his last three or four years have probably been his best. And um, yeah, he, he was brilliant last night. I mean, probably could have scored another couple. He had a, good, a couple of good headed chances. I think it just shows how, how threatening he is in various situations because in the end, the tie was kind of just Mbappe against Benzema. And in the end, Benzema mm-hmm. won. Was there any tactical credit to Ancelotti who who we all said got it wrong in Paris. Did he get it right here? I think he made some good substitutions. I think Camavinga came on for Cruz and was just more mobile because Cruz is a little bit uh, injured at the moment. Rodrigo came on for uh, Asensio and really hugged the touchline well. Um, he, he made a very quick change when Carvajal got a booking uh, after a tactical foul on Mbappe. And that meant that Vasquez later on could make his own tactical foul on Mbappe. So that worked out well. And he also made a slight tweak at left back, which I thought was interesting. Didn't really affect the game. But he started with Alaba at centre-back and Nacho at uh, left-back and switched them late on so that Alaba could offer a little bit more on the overlap. So there was various little things he did. Nothing transformative in terms of changing the system, but just subtle things that I, I, I think helped to put Real Madrid in control. He had Everton in the top four at Christmas last season, so his stock really is at an absolute high, I'd say, at the moment. <laughs> if, um, if Real Madrid do sign Mbappe, does that work? Where would he play? Well, I guess you'd put him and Vinicius either side of Benzema and him and Vinicius would have to do rock, paper, scissors for who gets to start on the left because that's where they would both want to be. But Mm. you can't take Vinicius out of the Real Madrid team because he is A, brilliant and B, has a really good understanding with with Benzema. Um, But then Benzema has kind of got that Harry Kane thing that he can kind of be a number nine and and a number 10 all in one. He sort of thinks of himself as a a number nine with the soul of a number 10. So you could actually have him in a slightly more withdrawn role and then Mbappe and, and, and Vinicius sort of uh, advance. But I would have thought that'll be the, that'll be the approach if mm. Mbappe goes, if. which he probably will. Kind of feel like Wednesday night shifted that on a notch or two. As for PSG, what happens next? Grace Robertson suggesting that it'll be back to the cycle of disappointment and then massive retail therapy and then more disappointment, etc. and so on. Rory Smith, though, positing that... Maybe this last night marks the end of that kind of golden era for them. Rory says, I'm guessing Qatar's interest in football might change after the World Cup later this year. There has been a lot of speculation that it has been a a project leading up to 2022 and that might wind down afterwards. I mean, I think it's worth pointing out if there's been a missed opportunity for PSG, it was two seasons ago, they got to the Champions League final and I think they were actually the better side in that final against Bayern Munich and lost it, so... For all their collapses, they were yeah, one game away from winning the Champions League and you would think that project is complete. But mm. yeah, maybe today is a, a day of two very uh, grandiose projects coming to an end. Mm. Well, they've given us plenty of thrills and chuckles along the way. And I mean, certainly for anyone apart from Jules and PSG fans, so Wednesday night was pretty spectacular entertainment. Duncan, do you have a final stat on, on Wednesday night? Just that it's 
continues to be baffling that Joe Allen has featured in a European final more recently than Lionel Messi. Um, and that might stay the case forever. The Welsh Chavi, what's baffling about that? It's exactly where he deserves to be. The chicken farmer extraordinaire. The man wow. himself. There were other footballing stories, listener, on Wednesday and Tuesday in the Champions League last 16. We'll be getting on to those next. Keep listening for Michael Cox versus Daniel Story in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's live-ish. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Listener, it's the 10th of March 2022 as we record it. On this day in 1971... Cardiff City recorded one of the great victories in Welsh football history. Tom Williams, do you remember what it was? When they beat um, Real Madrid in the European Topically Cup. Topically enough, finals. yes, they beat Real Madrid 1-0. Rhys crowded up by getting away with it. This is dangerous. Clark! Yes! I'm absolutely deafened by this huge crowd. Brian Clark's headed goal in front of a crowd of nearly 50,000 people at Ninian Park. This was in the European Cup Winners' Cup quarter-final first leg. Uh, sadly, Cardiff City, who this week will be playing at, uh, against Preston North End, uh, lost the return leg 2-0 at the Bernabeu. So, so similar to the uh, Paris Saint-Germain uh, paradigm, really. A rail went on to reach the final in 71, where they lost to Chelsea. Uh, speaking of dates, here's one if you fancy watching Michael and Duncan in an on-stage act, possibly involving a feather boa. Details to be confirmed. It's the Totally Football Show Live, which will be taking place in Manchester on the 19th of April at The Lowry. Head to thelowry.com for tickets. Rory Smith also on the bill. Totally Football League show is out on Thursday. Shout out to Millwall, who drew 0-0 at Blackburn in the Championship on Tuesday without having a single shot, despite having 11 men for the entire game. Uh, ending their excellent run of form, Millwall. Anyway, well, you, much I'd more say of getting kind of... a point when you haven't had a shot is good form, to be fair. Fair. All right, anyway, you can hear that and other things discussed in the Totally Football League show now. Uh, for us, Champions League Wednesday, Man City had a 0-0 draw with Sporting, hearing reports that Scott Carson came on in that game. Second appearance in the Champions League. How, after... how long between the two appearances? Uh, about 19 years, so uh, just mm. the 265 goals from Ronaldo and Messi in between his two appearances. Crikey. That was Wednesday anyway, City going through 5-0 on aggregate. On Tuesday, you had a whopping win for Bayern, 7-1 against Rebel Salzburg, while Liverpool lost at home to Inter, but went through a 2-1 after their victory away in the away leg. Hey, Bayern's 7-1 win over Salzburg. Robert Lewandowski with something to say to all the folk busy hailing Benzema as the greatest number nine around. He got a hat-trick as well, although two admittedly were penalties. But, I mean, he just scores so many goals. If you were building a club, which would you have, Benzema or Lewandowski? I'd have Lewandowski. That's a good question. I'd have Lewandowski. I think I'd have Lewandowski. Because Lewandowski. Lewandowski. 
question marks about Benzema and his professionalism and past conduct. I don't right. think there are questions about his professionalism. I think there are questions about some of his off-field mm. alliances, shall we say. Right. Mm. And just gotcha. on, on the, the Lewandowski hat-trick and the two penalties, I was impressed that he took two very different kinds of penalty in that the first one was a kind of goalie independent one where he just didn't even look at the keeper, slammed it bottom left. And then the second one was a sort of Jorginho-style goalie dependent one where he waited for the goalie to move and then tucked it away. Just mixing things up. Yeah, very nice. To think we thought that maybe there was a chance of an upset in that game after the 1-1 in the first leg. Anyway, Tuesday night, a game we thought there wasn't much hope of an upset in a Liverpool hosting Inter. Very nearly, or there was certainly the strong possibility of one in in the second half after Lautaro Martinez's absolute screamer an hour in. Any thoughts on this game? Well, it was slightly frustrating because obviously the red card came about a minute after that and it, it did mm. look as if we were heading for a real grandstand finish and Inter kind of died a little bit after that. I also wasn't that convinced by some of Inzaghi's changes. I thought they kind of, yeah, they didn't really increase the momentum. I mean, Liverpool missed lots of chances here and probably could have been home and dry. But overall, I was quite impressed with Inter over the two games. Mm. I think they probably slightly unlucky to lose 2-0 in the first game and maybe a bit flattered by the 1-0 win here but overall a really good tie I thought I was quite struck by the officiating in this game um, in that the referee was Mateo Lajos who is uh, a well-known Spanish referee bit of a bit of a Mike Dean vibe um, and he let an awful lot go in terms of like physical challenges mm-hmm. and there were sequences that recalled the sort of videos you see on those you know, football was better in the 80s Twitter accounts (laughs) where you get like a crescendo of knee-high and hip-high challenges and then someone gets like studded in the face and it's like, well, we draw the line at that. I felt like he seemed to want to let the game go as far as he possibly could. And it Mm. was kind of, there were points where you thought he might lose control of this. And then suddenly with about half an hour to go, it was like, actually, no, this has gone too far. I'm going to start getting the cards out. And I I think, you know, I think Sanchez deserved deserved to be sent off. Could have had a straight red um, you know, just for that, just for that one challenge. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was curious. And and again, in the in the, the Man City game last night, there was an awful lot that the referee just allowed to to go. At one point, Gabriel Jesus is sort of shaping to shoot in the penalty area, gets flattened, play on. He was tripped outside the penalty area at one point. It, it, quite blatant fouls, play on, and it mm. it kind of feels like this. You know this kind of instruction to referees to kind of let the game go a little bit. I mean, I I can understand the the, the thinking behind that, and it, it, it kind of you know it makes for less stop-start matches. But it's difficult to police because you look at things that some referees will allow, and and you know in this sort of VAR age, and it's hard to understand why certain certain challenges aren't being picked up on. Mm. Well, indeed. Anyway, Liverpool go through, Inter go home with their heads. Held high, Gazetta saying, worthy of Inter. That was the big headline on, on Wednesday morning. The feeling that they demonstrated that they weren't that far off. A team that were European champions not too long ago. Certainly becoming the first team to win at Anfield since, well, uh, <clears throat> Fulham. Uh, just well, yeah, over but a did year they? Ago. Because if people are counting Liverpool's draw in the League Cup final as a win, uh-huh. as a run of 12 wins, then the fact Liverpool got through this tie means that they must have won this game, right? Because that's how it works. Fair enough, Duncan. I'm not going to argue with you. 
Not on the listeners' time, anyway. <laughs> I did notice uh, Jurgen Klopp's description of 2-0 as the most dangerous lead. He said, well, he said right this. Time, he, he said, 2-0 is the lead that has been turned over most often in football if you are mm, half-time wow. and two up. <laughs> and you think you're already through, then you're already on the wrong path. He's just saying, Duncan, whatever the numbers may tell you, that wow. the soul of football says 2-0, red flags He's literally ahoy. got through to the quarterfinals because they won 2-0. So yeah, but he's, that's what... Big old rethink this week. Mm. It, wasn't, anyway. it wasn't harder for them to play against 10 men, though, was it? It was actually easier to play against 10 men, as you would expect. So, mixed night. And the famous Anfield atmosphere didn't help Liverpool to a goal, so it was a it was a massive debunking. Was it? Hmm. Mm. Okay. Uh, there you go. Uh, Liverpool will be in the draw, which will be taking place Friday week, uh, somewhere nice, no doubt. Should mention just on the subject of Europe that uh, did you spot there were two Europa League games that snuck in on Wednesday as well? Interesting results. Well, Eintracht Frankfurt two one winners away at Betis of Seville. While Leon, Tom, how about this for a result? Going to Porto, where very few teams win, apart from Man City and Liverpool, but other teams don't. Uh, and they got a 1-0 victory. Crikey. Yeah, really big win for Leon, um, who have been having a very uneven season domestically. They've got Peter Bosch, uh, the Dutch coach in charge there, and he hasn't always managed to get his ideas across all that successfully. So they're really struggling to get into the top three in, in Ligue 1. But they've been brilliant in the Europa League, top their group. Um, and have reinforced quite quite well in January. Obviously, Tongi and Dombele is back there. They brought in Roman Feb from Brest, who's who started well. Um, and yeah, impressive winning away at Porto. I mean, it is it would be very Leon to then you know lose the return leg. But yeah, a, a pretty um, pretty impressive victory. All right. Well, next up, listener, let's get on to the Premier League, which has got a busy schedule ahead. Four games on Thursday night, and then all the stuff on the weekend. Our thoughts next. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Yeah, Premier League. If you're hanging around for the Intertotally Michael Cox Daniel Story matchup, that's not far away now. Let's whiz through these previews and we can get get the quiz on. Four games Thursday night. Norwich against Chelsea and suddenly not so massive Chelsea news. Reese James has been ruled out of their next four games with a hamstring injury. Also Thursday, Saints Newcastle, Wolves Watford, Leeds Aston Villa. Perhaps you've already perhaps they've already happened, listener. I wonder it's, how they um... went. It's very mm. confusing because one's from match day 19, one's from match mm. day 20, one's from match day 21. 
and mm. one's from match day 30. And those four numbers have a 75% correlation with the names of Adele's four albums. <laughs> is that right? That is good. Wow. Anyone with knowledge of Adele's discography, feel free to make a football-related... No? Nothing that... No, uh, I was just thinking... Go, go easy on me and Duncan, Coxie, with your amazing Adele stats. Nice, nice. Is that the name of a song? Go easy on me. I just really rapidly Googled it, obviously not knowing the names of any Adele songs. All right. Well, you know someone like For me, you. If someone says to me, think of Adele classic, I think of probably one of Matthew Letizia's girls, I reckon. So. <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't a laptop reference, Duncan. Uh, right. This weekend, Brighton-Liverpool... Keep it together, people. Uh, let's not PSG at this point. Uh, Brighton, Liverpool, 12.30. is one of only three games on Saturday. At three o'clock, you've got Brentford Burnley, and that's it for three o'clock. Game's gone, Game, isn't it? It has, yeah. Well, uh, the, the uh, 5.30 kickoff is Man United against Spurs. Ooh. Sunday, traditionalists will love uh, five games in the time-honoured Sunday 2pm slot. You've got Chelsea, Newcastle, Leeds, Norwich, West Ham, Villa, Saints Watford and Everton, who've been taken apart since our last show by Spurs, hosting Wolves. Sunday at 4.30, Arsenal Leicester. And then Monday, Palace Man City. Woo! All right. Uh, lots to discuss. Not least, the two teams involved in Monday night's Tottenham 5, Everton nil affair. Uh, Tottenham, for their part, will be at Man United, as I mentioned, Saturday tea time. Is this the They Should Swap Managers Classico? I mean, quite possibly, yeah. I mean, maybe the maybe the result will will determine that. But mm. um, and it, I suppose, as ever with Tottenham, it will it will depend on which Tottenham team turns up. Um, if it's the team that, that thrashed Everton and and uh, and Leeds, you can mm. you can see them causing United some problems. But if it's the team that crashed out of the FA Cup against Borough, not so much. Yeah, I hear not. you. Well, let, let's talk about the Tottenham that did Everton to the tune of five goals on Monday night. Uh, I missed this as I was busy not winning at the SJA Awards. <laughs> uh, some Sky Retro podcast thing to answer your question. Um, where where heard, was? I'd never heard of that hmm? podcast. Have you, have you not? Right. I've actually. I've, it's I've, niche, um, probably. It, it, yeah, it is quite. I've, I've been on it. Um, oh, uh, or, Tom. But Thanks, only. Pal. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They do like. They do like sort of kind of in depth podcast mm. about I think it's like cult heroes from Premier League clubs and they did right. one on Dimitri Payet so I sort of talked I, about I did try to do a Kanye but the on stage security was a little bit uh, anyway uh, but so what I did glean from the highlights and reading about the uh, the Spurs Everton game was that Doherty had an absolute stormer and obviously Harry Kane was pretty amazing that's basically it Matt Doherty just pulled out a performance for the ages it was incredible what was so special about it Duncan well, he was playing wing-back, but he was almost doing a, a kind of Trent Alexander-Arnold pushed into midfield. He, his pass for Harry Kane's second goal was just a delicious kind of lofted pass that, that Kane finished brilliantly with his left foot, which now takes him to 38 left-footed goals, which means that he is the second highest scoring player in Premier League history with his weaker foot behind Robin Van Persie. So, sorry, no, he's not the second highest scorer in Premier League history with his weaker foot. He's second highest scorer of goals with your wrong foot. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So Van Persie right. scored 39 with his chocolate right leg and okay. Kane's on 38 with his 
presumably not chocolate left leg. Um, mm. But it was a yeah. I mean, Spurs played very well, and and I thought you know Betancourt came back in was good, but Everton were just really really bad. Everton are, they're looking like a team that's in free fall to me. Mm. Well, we recall your prediction the other day. Duncan about relegation we'll, we'll, we'll come back to Everton a bit later on when we look at the picture down the bottom end but with this Doherty role do you, do you think that's going to be repeated in the game at Old Trafford how do you feel about Spurs chances of racking up yet more goals away at uh, Man United a United team reeling from that 4-1 derby defeat last weekend yeah, I'm interested in the Doherty thing because when you look at his performances with Wolves where he did very well, particularly in his first season, he wasn't really playing as like a conventional wing-back. He wasn't overlapping and crossing. A lot of his game was about playing one-twos with Jimenez and Jota and popping up in central positions. So I'm a little bit surprised why it's taken a while for him to be kind of redeployed in this role. Um, but he, he's been very good. I think Kulazewski as well has been an excellent signing. I always quite like the look of him at Juventus, but didn't expect to, for him to settle quite so well but I think he's done well because he can kind of draw wide and that allows Dotti inside but yeah I mean uh, if you take the performances from last weekend you'd have Tottenham fairly surefire favourites uh, at Old Trafford this weekend which isn't the case if you look at the uh, the odds and the rest of it but I think Tottenham on their on their day are very good and seem to be better against better opposition I think they could cause real problems particularly with those counter-attacks that aren't quite counter-attacks you know when they play out from the back and shift through the lines very quickly I think they uh, yeah I'd have them favourites to win at Manchester United personally OK well they, they certainly did get a win last season do you remember what the score was? 6-1 yeah although since then United have beaten Spurs 3-0 that was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium back in October it was the result which brought uh, Nuno Espirito Santo's reign at Spurs to an end. All right, so Michael's got Spurs down for the win. Tom and Duncan? Well, I'd quite like Ralph Ranyak to say, lads, it's Tottenham in the dressing room. See, <laughs> see if that works. Um, this fixture was just, it's the Pedro Mendes game, isn't it? Remember when he scored that goal? Um, it went about a yard over the line and Roy Carroll scooped it out and the ref was like, yeah, that's good enough for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, something like that would be good. But yeah, I, I agree with Michael. I think Spurs, you know, they're looking pretty good and United aren't so yeah Tottenham as well yeah I I agree with that I think that Spurs have got a lot of attributes that are liable to cause United problems in that they generally sit quite deep when they're defending which is something that United struggle with and they're very good and very fast on the counter-attack and Manchester United are very bad at defending against that sort of thing so uh, yeah I, I think it could be a tricky one for United mm, could be a massive Game this for the top four race, which currently has Man United in fifth, just a point behind Arsenal, but the Gunners have three games in hand on them. United, meanwhile, Man United are two points above West Ham. Spurs lie down in seventh, but they have two games in hand on United, and they're only uh, three points off Arsenal. So victory here, depending on what happens with the Gunners, could see them even move back into the top four, I think, with, uh, with my maths. Uh, Arsenal... If you're curious, this weekend are hosting Leicester. Hey, Michael, uh, we we had Daniel's story on Monday. Once again, going down the Arsenal are definitely they've definitely turned the corner. They will finish top four route after they'd beaten Checks Notes uh, Watford. Are you on board with this now, or are you still waiting for say maybe their game against Liverpool next Wednesday for for a bit more of a a reality check? 
Well, they haven't got results against the big teams so far this season. They've lost quite heavily to Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, so maybe that is how, a factor, but... Uh, how would I you mean, categorise a game against Leicester? Would that, would that be... Well, I mean, I think Leicester have won the last two, haven't they? But I, they're not a good team at the moment. So, I, 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 no, I mean, they're a mid-table side by, by definition. I mean, I think with the points on the board and the games in hand, Arsenal are quite strong favourites now. But there's a mm. few of interest. I mean, they've still got to play Manchester United. They've still got to play Tottenham. Obviously, those two are playing each other this weekend. So there's, there's a few games that could produce big swings. But I think you have to say Arsenal are favourites at the moment, yeah. Excellent. All right. Leicester, though, visiting... At the weekend, the reverse fixture saw that man of the match display from Aaron Ramsdale, one of the saves of the season on that James Madison free kick. On the subject of Leicester, Duncan, this is the first time you've been on since Jamie Vardy returned and reached double figures. <laughs> That's a, right, yeah. In a manner <laughs> predicted by some, brackets, D. Alexander, well, brackets would never happen. Well, I think if we remember after we started the season very well, and uh, yeah. you know, it you was, can't it do was that. Raised quite a lot. I raised it to eleven. You can't do that. A prediction well, is a prediction. You can't adjust it's like it. The Bank of England and interest rates. I, I go. No, to it's not. Those aren't predictions. Committee. No, they raised it to eleven. Yes, and it's still because up. I'm, you can I'm raise lots of 11. things, but not predictions. You're backing eleven, are you? Yeah. Okay. Do you know what? He's just going to got injured again. So, no further mm. questions. I know. I know it's not. Like news that Jamie Varda came up from the lower leagues, but I was looking at his stats the other day, and it's absolutely mad that he's won the the seventh tier, the fifth tier, the second <laughs> tier, and then the top tier in order. I mean, wow. that is ludicrous. We will never see that happen again. Genuinely extraordinary. Hmm. What happened to the third and the sixth? Well, he moved from um, he moved from the conference. Yeah, moved from yeah. the conference to. Would that trouble you if you were Jamie Vardy? Would you feel like? I might join a League One team and then a National League North stroke South. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Question that only he can it's, answer. It's it's not too late for him. He, he mm-hmm. could that could be his sort of you know post post Leicester objective. Shout out to Tony Cotty, the last player to play in all four divisions in the same season, two thousand two thousand and one. How did he do that? He was at Leicester. Played for them in the mm-hmm. Premier League. He played for Millwall in League One. Well, hang on. So when it. did he move? Well, this is pre-transfer. Yeah, so you could oh. move about. So he was yeah. on loan at a few clubs. I can't remember who played for in the second tier, but yeah, he um pretty pretty good effort. And he disguised himself as well, James. So it wasn't immediately obvious that it was <laughs> yeah. Tony Cotty. Who's this Antonio Cotte? <laughs> yeah. Seems good. Because <laughs> there's a Coutinho out there now. You don't think? Mm. Uh oh. Yeah. Anyway, West Ham. To mention them in there, I mean, I kind of did peripherally. They're sort of in there if they got their act together. They've got Aston Villa at the weekend. Plenty of football still to be played, a win there. Who knows? Uh, they've also got Sevilla away on Thursday evening. From Tough Sevilla to League. the Villa. Nice. Hmm. I wasn't going to say they've started to stutter, but they've been stuttering for a little while, haven't they, West Ham? What is it? One win in four, I think, in the league. And Villa flying off the back of that surprisingly one-sided 4-0 win over um, Southampton at the weekend. And I think Mm. we mentioned this before the season started, the fact that West Ham would have to juggle the Premier League and the Europa League, despite having not really added uh, too many players to their squad. And in the first part of the season, they were able to do that pretty well. But I think, you know, now they're really getting down to the 
the nitty gritty and particularly playing, you know, a, a team like Sevilla with all their Europa League pedigree, you sort of wonder whether that will that will become a factor again. And I think when you look at how that that top four race is likely to pan out over the last you know, sort of nine, ten games of the season. It's it's hard. To, I mean, you know, it could happen. But I, for me, I find it hard to see West Ham suddenly finding a second wind out of nowhere and, and, and really putting a challenge up against, you know, your Arsenals and your Uniteds and your Tottenhams, etc. Clip that one up, producer Charlie. Who knows when that will come in <laughs> handy. All right, that's enough about the top four. Next up, let's talk about the bottom three and the teams in and around the bottom three. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Recently on The Totally Football Show, Duncan's big prediction backed by all the uh, immense processing power of Opta, stroke the analyst, was that current bottom three, Burnley, Watford and Norwich, would actually all stay up. How about that for a twist, listener? With Leeds, Everton and Brentford, the unfortunate sides that would go down in their stead. Duncan, you just pulled a face as I reminded you of that. Your thoughts now? I uh, still believe it, hundred percent. All right, yeah. you don't want to raise that prediction. The Everton bit, the That's Everton not bit, part of the Jamie Vardy Bank of England situation, so I can't change it. So. Okay, but the Everton bit, you don't look that misguided on. They are currently one point above Burnley, although they do have a game in hand on them, and two on the other two bottom three sides, Watford and. Uh, the other team. Oh, Norwich, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Everton are hosting Wolves on Sunday. Tom, you were mentioning Everton's performance away at Spurs on Monday. What is, or, or any of you, what, what has happened to them? Um, I mean, I, I think one thing that stood out uh, in that Tottenham game was just how, how badly they defend. Uh, they've got lots of players who are having really poor runs of personal form. We think about Michael Keane, who scored the own goal. What an um, own goal. And a heck of an, I mean, a, an own goal for the ages, right off the laces, having also been at fault um, for the goal against Man City, where Everton had, had held out quite well and, and then ended up falling behind. And yeah, they, they just look very, very sort of shaky. And I think for all the, the kind of new manager impetus that, that Frank Lampard has, has brought with him, there's only so much that that can achieve when you've got a bunch of players who've, kind of forgotten how to defend. Uh, I think it's mm. probably worth highlighting the absence of Yeri Mina as well, who I tend to think of as being quite a comedic character uh, in that he's forever just sort of wading into, you know, bits of aggro that he has no business being involved in. But <laughs> as a as a football player, he is mm. a very handy defender, not least, you know, defending set pieces, etc. A lot uh, and of I think the fact that I think the fact that he's he's been out uh, of late has has probably been been quite an important factor in Everton's defensive struggles. I thought their problem against they started quite well against Tottenham, but they're one of these teams who it's a bit like Manchester United away at Manchester City last weekend. They started really well because they were pressing quite energetically, and then they couldn't sustain it. And people almost act like, well, this is a big mystery why that's happened. Well, I mean, it's it's not, is it? I mean, if you put if you put Usain well, you Bolt just run out of puff. Well, if you put Usain, Usain Bolt in the eight hundred meters and say run your usual race. And right. he's leading You're... after 200, but it's nowhere right. 800. People wouldn't he can't... say, how on earth did that happen? He can't Part make it again. soccer aid. So, uh... yeah. Well, that's an interesting and illuminating an- a- analogy, um, <laughs> Michael. Um, Duncan, can we have a stat about Everton? 
Yeah, it's March the 10th, which quite late in the football season. Everton are still only four points ahead of what Liverpool picked up in their Champions League group stage. So, uh, yeah, it's not, not a classic season for the blue half of uh, that city. Wow. They're, they're only a point above Burnley, as I mentioned, with over 10 games to go. They, they've been a top division side since 1954. It couldn't, could it? Dot, dot, dot. It's always quite exciting, isn't it? Like an Everton last day relegation scramble. I'm sure that mm. takes us all back to our respective childhoods. And I think it just having one of those every now and again is is, mm. is good for the soul. Uh, probably, you know, you know, not for not for the Everton fan souls. I mean, as much. if they did go down, it would be the biggest relegation since Leeds. No, I'd say bigger than Villa? that because of the oh, bigger, bigger. I think you'd probably have to go to the 70s and be when Spurs and Man United went down in that decade. I think it would be it'd be up there with that. Crikey. Well, three defeats in a row for them. Uh, also for Wolves, at least it was three defeats in a row for Wolves before uh, they took on Watford this Thursday evening. It might, there's a chance it's changed since then. Well, maybe not. Football, who knows? Anyway, there you go. The other teams involved in the relegation battle, Watford themselves post the Wolves game Thursday night, will be away at Southampton. They haven't won, although no, they've won one of their last... 15 meetings with Saints. Leeds, who are only two above the drop, host Norwich. While Brentford, who may be out of trouble now, they're six points clear, host Burnley. That's a big game, isn't it? Hmm. Brentford were the first team to lose to Burnley this season. Uh, no team in English League football has won fewer games this season, though, than Burnley. That was one of only three victories they've had yeah, in that... the reverse fixture. That reverse game was quite interesting because you think of Brentford as being relatively old school in terms of aerial battles and that kind of thing. So I thought that game might suit them, but they just got completely battered by long balls up to Chris Wood, who obviously won't be around this time. But uh, Duncan's favourite Veghorst will be playing a similar role, I imagine. Mm. I think as ever with Burnley, there's always an expectation that at some point they'll kind of click back into gear and they'll they'll you know rediscover the formula that's led them to safety. Um, for what feels like the last, you know, 25 seasons. Um, but but that little upturn they had a few weeks back when they won at mm. Brighton, won at home to Spurs, um, has has now given way to quite one-sided defeats. That, that game against, the home game against Leicester they lost recently felt quite pivotal because they went into that with a little bit of momentum. Veghorst had made a successful start to life at Burnley and then lost to two quite late goals. Obviously got stuffed by Chelsea at the weekend. Um, and yeah, the thought of them sort of confidently striding out of the relegation zone doesn't seem quite as um, quite as likely, I wouldn't say, as it did a few weeks back. Well, both those games, those last two games you mentioned, they were 0-0 at half-time. So maybe Sean Dyche needs to revamp his half-time hmm. uh, speech. But Very possibly. Three other games that are taking place this weekend, and they're quite big. Chelsea-Newcastle, that's Sunday at 2. Newcastle haven't won at Stamford Bridge since that extraordinary game, do you remember, in 2012 when Pape Cisse has scored no, a very unexpected break. I think that's my mm. favourite Premier League goal of all time. Cisse! Oh, that is sensational! Pape Cisse with another blinding strike! Oh, it was also, by the way, I thought yeah. I saw this week, it was the anniversary of the Ronaldinho goal that Tom doesn't rate. Yep, yep, <laughs> saw it all plastered all over my Twitter timeline the other day. Which How one? did he score? William simply doesn't care. The toe poke. The toe ah. poke, James. The, the Chelsea elegant, one, right. The okay. elegant Chelsea toe poke. Mm. All right. Uh, Brighton-Liverpool also taking place. That, in fact, is the early game on Saturday 
uh, Brighton on a run of four straight defeats. And Palace hosting Man City, who you remember they beat back in October at the Etihad. Do you see any changes to the six-point margin at the top of the table? Just throw this in before we get on to the intertotally. No. Okay. Although Palace are generally mm-hmm. City's mini bogey team, aren't they, in the Premier League? Obviously, in the all or nothing, they dropped points uh, away at Palace that season and, and the producers had to kind of put some jeopardy in. They're down to 16 points lead. It's a crisis. But a um, couple of things to look out for in the Brighton-Liverpool game. Liverpool are on 1,998 Premier League goals. So they'll be the first, second team to reach 2,000 after, obviously, Manchester United. If they do it, and they're only 35 offsides provoked, that old chestnut, um, short of the record for recorded Premier League history. So that, that offside line is in its pomp. And who holds that record, Duncan? Well, the record is held by two teams in 2011-12, the, uh, the heyday of the modern offside, and it's Arsenal, which is not that surprising, we think, and Bolton that season, managed mm. by Michael Cox's friend Owen Coyle. Indeed. It's quite interesting because I think of offsides being given a little bit less now. What would the kind of really let the game flow? And if it's you know. surely the introduction of VAR has massively increased the number of offsides detected by our our techno aided friends. I'm anyway, not sh- I'm not sure because if it, if it's a, if they're marginally offside, the linesman will keep mm. his flag down, yeah. and then if there's a cross into the box and the keeper gets it, then they'll just say, "Well, play on," that kind of thing. Whereas back in the day, you would have been ah. flagged. I could be I wrong, but no, you're probably yeah. Right. I think I think generally you're, you're right, but you Liverpool are. are, you know, exponents of the of the system. So, okay, I'm going to tear us away from this discussion about <laughs> offsides uh, because that is the Premier League weekend, which of course we'll be reacting to on Monday when the games have actually happened, and we've got something to talk about. Next up, it's. I'm going to call it the most eagerly awaited matchup of the Intertotally Cup so far. So the quarterfinal lineup taking shape in the Intertotally Cup. On one side of the draw, Benji Lanyardo is through to face Julian Laurence, whilst Dom Fifield awaits his opponent from the matchup between Horn and Charlie Eccleshare, uh, which will be coming up on Monday. On the other side of the bracket, Duncan. We'll be up against Lindsay Hooper, while Flo Lloyd Hughes will meet the winner of today's clash. Let's find out who's in that. Up first, he is the quiz king of Kingston, the reigning, defending, two-time inter-totally champion of the world, Michael Cox. All right, Michael Cox, champion in the house, everybody. Woo! All right, Michael. Big build-up, that. It is a big build-up. Well, those you... two stars on your T-shirt? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Mike, Michael, two-time winner of the Intertotally. When was the last time you didn't win a quiz? Well, probably one of the many, many, many Zoom quizzes I participated in two years ago, I suspect. But, All uh... right. Well, listen, Michael is doing this one on Zoom. So, just saying, you know, the precedent's there. The closest anyone's come to beating Michael in the Intertotally, in the two editions so far, was last year's semi-final when Sasha took him to a tiebreak. Although, Tom Williams, you had a 3-2 against him early on. Mm. All right. Anyway, not infallible, but pretty amazing, as we mentioned, that 14-question correct answering streak 
which is a record in its totally. Who's he going to be up against? Let's find out. And his opponent, the ultimate warrior, the Archdeacon of Doubt, but he just can't get enough of that intertotally stuff. It's Daniel Story. Daniel, welcome again to the Intertotally Cup. Woohoo! Thank you very much. Slightly right. more understated build-up, I'd say. Well, it's all in the answers. I mean, the build-up swiftly forgotten once the answers start, uh, the questions start flying. Uh, you were runner-up to Coxie in the first ever Intertotally final. How much have you been looking forward to this rematch? Uh, yeah, not so much. Although I, I yeah, I, I, there's no shame in losing to Michael, and that's what I'll tell myself for the next two weeks. Ooh, as, as soon right. as the uh, as soon as the draw was published, I texted Daniel saying, "I think there should be a seeding system." Because <laughs> yeah, the draw neither was wanted. Right. Okay. Well, finalists in the first into totally. Then last season, you just couldn't get enough uh, correct answers and went out in the, in the, in the open, opening game. It's a good job I've got a sort of steel reinforced confidence about this. Well, what, I've done, I mean, this is the thing. It's very, the, which, which Daniel story are we seeing today, do you think? We shall see. Hmm. The winner, whoever that might be, will progress to the quarterfinals, of course, and a date with Flo Lloyd Hughes. They also win £10, which Paddy Power will place on the bet of your choice. The winnings going to the charity of your choice. Daniel, what is your charity? Uh, the Trussell Trust, which is a food bank charity. Excellent. And what will your bet be? I've chosen uh, a short-term one, Gabrielle, to score for Arsenal against Leicester this weekend. Hmm. Interesting. Michael, your charity? I'm doing it for Prostate Cancer UK, and my bet is Tottenham to win at Manchester United this weekend. I see. Very good. All right, listener, let's get the questions going. Michael, you're up first. Question one. To which player does this career path belong? Villarreal, Recreativo Huelva, Malaga, Arsenal, Villarreal, Al Sad? Uh, Santi Cazola. Is correct. Question two. Clarence Seydorf ended his playing career at which Brazilian club? Ooh. First, first name that came to mind was Botafogo. I don't know why. Yeah, I'll go for Botafogo. Is correct, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Is correct. Question three. From which English team did David Platt move to Italy from? Oh, good question. I think this is my final answer. I think it's Villa. Is it Crew? Is it Man United? Yeah, I think Villa. Is a good answer. Three out of three <laughs> for the reigning champ. Question four. What do the Champions League finals of 2000, 2003, 2008, 2014, 2016... 2019 and 2021 have in common, apart from brackets, an incident with a pigeon. <laughs> uh, they were played between teams from the same country. Is correct. Question five, then, for a perfect score. Russell Martin is the manager of which championship club? 
My championship knowledge is bad. I think it's MK Dons. You think wrong, Michael. You think wrong. It was. Mm. It was. Daniel, what do you want to give him the answer? Oh, it's it's Swansea. Swansea. I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying that because of what will now follow, but I would have got all those right, which is sort of annoying, really, because I won't get well, all of these right. We'll see, Daniel. How do you feel about four out of five, Michael? I'm disappointed with the Russell Martin because he was at MK Dons, wasn't he? And then he moved. I'm disappointed. They with might that. be in the championship next season. You make it sound like you're disappointed with him for having had the temerity to move clubs without informing you. Well, it would have been easier that way, yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, that's that's the bar set pretty high for a few people getting four out of five in their opening game this year. Duncan, I think, is the only other exponent of the four out of five. But let's see what Daniel can do. Can he match that? Can he go even better? Daniel, your questions start thus. Question one. To which player does this career path belong? Envigado, Banfield, Porto, Monaco, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich on loan, Everton, Al Rayan. That's James Rodriguez. It is James Rodriguez. You're on the board. Question two. Clarence Seydorf's most recent coaching job was with which African country? Oh. Um, oh, God, I should know that because of AFCON. It's, um, oh, it, it, it's Cameroon. It's the hosts. Is correct. Mm. Two for two. Question three. From which English team did Inter sign Robbie Keane? Oh. <laughs> Jeez. Coventry? Is correct, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. Question four, Daniel. Mm-hmm. What do the European Cup or Champions League finals of 1963, 1968, 1971, 1978, 1992, 2011 and 2013 have in common? I'll give you the list again. 63, 68, 71, 78, 92, 2011 and 2013. Were they all played in England do I need more than that 68 was at Wembley 92 was at Wembley were they all at Wembley they were all staged at Wembley I think level on four correct answers each and you have a fifth question still to answer and given the symmetry of this quiz format it is a championship question let's see how you do with question five this is huge Neil Critchley is the manager of which championship club? Blackpool. <gasps> it's correct. Daniel's story, five out of five. You are through to the quarterfinals. Michael Cox is out of the competition. Who falls? Cox He's right about, falls. He's right about the seeding as well, by the way. Well, Michael, mm. any, any reaction? I just, yeah, disappointed with the one I got wrong because, yeah, I did. But I didn't know it because it said the wrong answer. But mm. but any words for knowledge. any words for Daniel's performance against possibly the opponent he feared the most? Well, I can't argue with five out of five, and I'd have I probably Daniel and Charlie Eccleshire, I'd say would be my 
the two I'd least want to face. So, uh, yeah, good luck to him for the rest of the competition. <laughs> Daniel, how, you. how do you feel? You were predicting a, 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 a washout from well, your, the, your those, questions. I but... think the, the standard of questions for both of us felt slightly a slightly more gentle than they have been for other ones. I've been getting twos and threes and fours. <laughs> yeah, so, same. Um, yeah, that, that was nice. Thank you to whoever compiled those. Nick Miller... Shadowy crash master. (laughs) (laughs) Glory, glory, Daniel Story. We'll see you in the quarterfinals. And if, like Daniel, you reckon Gabrielle will score for Arsenal against Leicester on Sunday, you can get odds of 5 to 1 at paddypower.com and on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. So we're going to have a new name on the Intertotally Cup uh, this season. And we've got one more first-round match to go, and it is Charlie Eccleshire up against James Horncastle. So that's a biggie. But that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football show. Daniel, thank you for stopping by. Congratulations on your win. To Duncan, to Tom, and to Michael, who's, I have to say, in shock right now. Michael? Really am. Yeah, did a Sammy Kafour was put his punch in the ground of his rooms. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite sad to see actually, but you know. they'll be next time. You'll come back stronger. Uh, but uh, that, that's it for today's show. Many thanks to producer Charlie as well, and you listener for doing the listening. And we're back Monday. Charlie Eccleshare, James Horncastle and all the weekend's games, and a bit more Champions League previewing to be done. And who knows what other massive stories will happen in the meantime as well. Anyway, we'll be back Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.